Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast, your weekly splash of Fulham discussion. My name is Sammy James, and given the red sky across much of the UK today, it's very apt that on tonight's pod, we're going to discuss the off-colour performance from Fulham on Saturday as we drew with Preston North End, thanks to a late goal from our very own Red Devil, Dennis Adoy. We're going to be looking forward to next weekend as we will be seeing Claret up against Aston Villa. And on tonight's pod, it's the man whose heart is sometimes green, sometimes white, Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. The mellow yellow, Ben Jarman. Hello, friends. And a man that has definitely tried every colour of VK, some of them last night, Farrell Monk. Big up, Fulham people. Oh, wow. What? Wow. <laughs> I, also, that was definitely a, that was a, definitely a Don Betts introduction that you just chucked there for Farrell. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, know. I was running out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I gave up by the end. Well, lots to get through, as I mentioned, in today's podcast. We'll be looking at that Preston game in detail. Uh, but first, we need to do some three-word reviews from the weekend, as Dennis did it at the death. Jack Collins, what came in? We've got some brilliant ones in Venice this week, so shout out to everyone that replied as ever. Winsty at the Novelty Act came up with The Absolute Adoy, which I really liked and almost named the pod, but it has, lo- it has lost out to a tough competition. Adam Porter with Craven Draw Cottage is a little bit more droll, but probably a little bit more apt as well. Richard Bamber's High Blood Pressure. Um, and I enjoyed Adam's Was Font Drunk. Jason reads better than Trinidad and Alan Mills's Preston Cramp Epidemic. Some very good three-word reviews there. <laughs> Make sure you get involved after the Villa game on Twitter and on Facebook as well. Uh, before we talk about that Preston game, just to say that this season Fulhamish is backed by Labbrooks and right now Fulhamish listeners can bet £5, get 20 quid. That means just deposit a fiver and Labbrooks are going to add another £20 to your account. So I'm sure this is brand new information to you. You can get this offer by following the link at bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Right. On with the action from Saturday. Late drama again at the cottage, but luckily this time in our favour as our cult hero, Dennis Adoy, snatched the Whites a point with the last kick of the game. Now, Jack, they say the key to promotion is to win your home games and to draw them away. Fulham seem to be doing the opposite at the moment. That's kind of fine. I'm, I'm kind of okay with that, if, if I'm perfectly honest. If, if we keep it up. Yeah, well, I mean, if we draw our home games, I mean, people are going to get annoyed, don't get me wrong, and, and rightfully so, in fairness, you know, in terms of wanting to watch Fulham win. More people obviously watch Fulham at home than they do away. But the points remain the same. If you win all your away games and you draw your home games, you're going to have as many points as if you win your home games and draw your away games. So in in, in the grander scheme of things, draws at home and wins away are, are not the end of the world, if I'm honest. Um, now, Ben, Slav said after the game that uh, Preston are one of the best teams off the ball and we're one of the best teams on the ball, which I thought was a pretty accurate summation of proceedings on Saturday. Yeah, I thought Preston um, really pressed us well throughout the first 70 minutes of the game. Towards the last 20, they seemed to be a little bit dead on their feet. Um, I think the first half, uh, especially, obviously we saw them go into no up and they looked exemplary um, for the first 45 minutes. And I think there's a lot you could say to compare um, Preston North End's performance uh, from this weekend to um, Norwich City's uh, performance against us. Um, at home last year when they went 2-0 up at half-time and then slightly took their foot off the gas on the second half. It was uh, basically a carbon copy and, um, of course, both teams managed by Alex Neil. Indeed, and he's a very good manager, very wily and a lot of experience in this division. And Preston were using uh, a lot of, let's say, time-wasting tactics from the moment they went 2-0 up, Farrell. They looked very content to try and keep that two-goal lead, which I guess is fair play but it was very frustrating to watch for us they're never going to win many fans over by by doing that and it it was just absolutely blatant because as soon as they went one nil up um it was straight from then they were doing all the time wasting taxes they can possibly do um they you know i don't think um the fulham fans in attendance on saturday were looking at preston going we love them they totally deserve to uh to take the three points today because of their dirty tactics. But that aside, Preston did perform excellently for at least 55, 60 minutes. And I would say it was their, it was the best perform- performance from an away side at the cottage, Spurs aside, um, since probably Sheffield Wednesday last year um, when Fulham snatched a draw then, but very luckily. But they did press us very well. Um, we Fulham just couldn't get the ball forward or out their own half, which is very surprising from 
from Fulham at uh, any stage uh, the, over the past 18 months. Um, so all credit to them, but definitely not from the time-wasting tactics. There's, as the as our man with the three-word reviews pointed out with the... Uh, they've all got cramp, it seems. You know, maybe they, you know, should work on actually making it look believable. I thought that Slavisa's comment was a little bit harsh, if, if I'm perfectly honest. I, I thought Preston were quite good with the ball. Mm. And I, I've been saying this all season, and if you, if you look at their, the preview that we put up before the game, Preston are a very good side, and they are a very good footballing side as well. And a lot of the games they've played, they've dominated possession, they've played the ball on the deck, they, they play good football. And even you know while there were mistakes in the lead-up to their goals, they're well put away, they're well worked. And I, I think it's harsh to say that they're just an off-the-ball pressing side. Yes, they made chances by pressing us high, but also they're just a very good unit. And, and they have a lot of very talented players who know where the goal is, who know, the, you know, know how to play the ball and know how to play football well. And they didn't look, there wasn't long ball tactics, if, if I'm honest, until the last sort of bit where they were just absolutely shattered, I think. But on, on the whole, I thought the Preston were quite a good team on and off the ball, and I think it would be harsh to deride them as such. No, ab- absolutely, 100% agree. And, you know, when, when I did see the comments about um, saying that Preston were the best team off the ball, I kind of read it not just about the pressing, but also the fact that their movement off the ball was actually really, really oh, okay. good. Fair enough. That's the way I read into it. I didn't, you know... Um, Must admit, I read, it, I read into it the same way that Jack did. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was just interpretation, but, like... Um, I, I thought Hugo get, gave um, Reem and Callas a very torrid time, um, in the especially in the first half, um, and he was supported well from the from the wise from Barkhausen and um, Maguire, wasn't it? At the on the other side, yeah, Hugo was very impressive and a man that was linked with us in the summer, and, and you could see why. You could imagine that he would really have done a job for us this season had he signed. Full and maybe not as our first choice striker. You'd imagine Font would still be um, running the line most games, but he would have been an amazing option to have as a second striker. And yeah, he caused Callas and Reem all sorts of problems. There have been numerous pods over the sort of like the whole duration that we've done uh, Fulhamish, where on countless times Jack and I have probably said that we'd love to have Jordan Hugill in the team in some sort of capacity, whether it's as the starting number nine or striker, as it were over sort of anyone else that we've been linked with throughout this period. And I think this weekend probably showed why. He's more than adapted at playing well in the championship and last year showed what he was, what potential he had. And I think this year is probably ramming home, you know, what what he's actually very, very good at. And uh, he's a really good championship striker. And I think given him a couple more years of development, he could probably step it up a level to be a top tier championship, maybe like bottom rung Premier League striker if he keeps at it. You're Chris Wood, if you will. Yeah, exactly that. I think it, we've been banging on for ages about, you know, all three of their front three, to be honest. Mm. Hugo and Barkheisen and Shawnee Maguire. I know there is a vested interest here, but like we, we made a point of it. And, and Maguire yeah. absolutely tore a to shreds down that wing in in the first half. And he really did look good. And it, across the three of them, they've they've picked three players there. One, you know, they brought Barkhausen in from Morecambe. They brought Shawnee Maguire in from Cork City in the League of Ireland. They've brought Jugal, uh, Jordan Hugel up from from a league below as well. There's no, you know, big money signings, and the three of them are really going to town on seasoned Championship defences. And I think that it, it goes to show that you don't need to necessarily spend, you know, massively to to, to bring these players in. And you know, the, the same could be said for someone like Nathaniel Mendes Lang at, at Cardiff mm. City and. He's doing bits all over the shop. And, yeah, the yeah. Barnsley, Barnsley are doing um, basically the same thing. They've brought a lot of players up from leagues, leagues one and two. They've brought um, uh, Cameron McGeehan from Luton Town yeah. this summer. He scored He's, his first goal on the yeah. weekend. Yeah. And it's Pretty interesting because it's... Andy from Barnet as well. It's so. interesting because it's not something that Fulham have tried to do since we've gone down to the second tier. Um, well, picked we... up Mark Fotheringham from Notts County. And a great signing he was. <laughs> um but apart from that shining example, yeah, we haven't really gone down that hole. Let's look at League One, League Two, and maybe that is a mistake of um, our transfer policy. Then again, looking abroad and looking at the slightly more obscure leagues in Belgium and uh, to a lesser extent France has has paid dividends. Let's go back to um, Fulham in the game. Now, Preston did look bright and confident from the off. They looked like a team that had only lost one game in the season. But I'd have said the best early chances actually fell to Fulham. Uh, and the main one coming from the run up the left by Sess after about 15 minutes, a sensational run, actually came about after a Sess mistake. But then he more than made up for it, galloped up the left, and then Fulham had about three chances 
to score. And actually, obviously, Chris Maxwell came in for quite a lot of criticism for what he did at the end, but it was a stunning save. Think from Ollie Norwood with his right palm. Yeah, when uh, Ollie Norwood tried to travel it in with his right foot. But, I mean, it was a turning point in the game because only three minutes later, we were behind. Chris Maxwell yeah. had a really good game. Yeah, yeah I was, like, was going to uh, say exactly the same I thing. I felt a bit sorry for him, in fact. And at the end, you know, not obviously didn't feel sorry, but I thought he played really well and he was obviously going to get a stick for that because it was a terrible decision to come in the end. But, like... In in general, a, a really quite solid performance. He he didn't really do anything wrong mm. uh, aside from that very very last mistake. And it's just, you know def- we said before keepers get stick for things that they do wrong and not that much you know credit for things they do right. And ultimately, I'd say that Chris Maxwell is probably one of their best players yeah. Yeah, over the course of the ninety. And then there was like loads of there was loads of times when um, there were especially goalkeepers that that they do stuff that won't appear on the match highlights when they're actually really good, like catching crosses and clearing out sort of through balls and playing that sweeper-keeper kind of style, which he didn't do that often. But stuff like where there were a few times when we got balls into the box that looked really dangerous and he was there every time just relieving the pressure with an excellent catch. And that stuff doesn't go on the match highlights or anything like that, but, you know, not everyone's going to be watching the highlights just to watch keepers catching the ball. But he did that excellently. And I agree with Jack that I almost felt almost felt a little bit sorry for him the fact that it was his slight mistake that led to led to the equaliser apart from when he kept on going down with cramp as well which he did oh yeah and in the goal particularly was one of one of my favorites um so obviously we found ourselves 2-0 down very quickly and as we mentioned at the top of the pod Preston was doing very well at closing us down inside our own half we were struggling to play it out from the back should Slav have changed his style a bit earlier on in that first half when he realised that we were not getting much joy out of playing from the back. I realise the, the the reason why we do that is it's so that it pushes their players up and then suddenly we've got space in behind a midfield where we can penetrate and cause them problems. But it was quite clear early on that we weren't going to get through them round the back. And I feel like Slav maybe should have changed it up and noticed that earlier and we found ourselves 2-0 down, and especially the second goal comes about from them pressing us high. Yeah, but to what? Like, as in, we, we don't have an opportunity. I don't I don't think we should. I'm going to go against the grain here and say that I don't think we should have changed it up at all. I think that we should have just been better at what we were doing. You look at, you know, I know this is a, a bit of a false comparison because one of these teams is mid-table in the Championship and the other team is top of Serie A, but watch Napoli and... And, and do actually go and watch Napoli. They're unbelievable. Mm. They play the ball out from the back, and, and it doesn't matter how high they're pressed. They find gaps, and they just they move for each other, and they make it work because they have the you know they they must work on that daily with mm. Sarri to to make sure that it it, it comes off. And you, there's loads of videos on how to on, on the internet on how the Napoli play out from the back mm. and how they pr- play out through the press. And I don't mind Fulham, you know, if, if we concede from 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 a mistake and we're trying to play that football. I, I'm less, you know, inclined to be angry because I think that I'd rather watch us playing that kind of football. But I understand that there are frustrations with that from 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 people, and I think that's particularly valid. If if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I personally I like the idea that we play from the back and that we play and try and play that football. But we need to be working for it. And when it's not working the first time, the, the you know the two midfield that Kevin McDonald needs to come deeper. The two two central defenders need to split further, and we need to make options. That's how that system works. You have to continually make, pass and move. And it sounds you know rudimentary when you put it like that but it is so important to be able to like not worry about you know passing backwards or passing the ball around your own box and be confident in possession and then and, and then it works that's that's what it's about one of the general points that I was going to make about Fulham this year is that we tend to be playing a lot slower and a lot more conservative than we did last year we don't tend to be you know moving as Jack Riley points out we don't seem to be moving for each other we also don't seem to be making space for each other and I think we're getting caught at the back too often for those two reasons and that's why we are letting in goals of the natures uh, of Preston second and I think it's all too easy for us to turn around and say sure we change it but again Jack Lee rightly points out what do we change it to we don't just start lumping the ball up to mm. to no one because the more you lump the ball up to someone the quicker it comes back to you the less time you get to rest off the ball the quicker you deplete the more tired you become and the more error prone you are the more if you have the ball at your feet you can rest the other team has to work I th- i'm 100% with jack i think we are the best we are the better team when we try and pass the ball around you know sari is a really good um 
example is probably the best example in Europe of how to pass the ball out the back. And I really do encourage anyone to try and watch it if they ever get the chance. And also Guardiola at City this season, they scored seven goals, basically passing it all the way out from the back against Stoke this weekend. And if you really want to watch a good game of passing football, you uh, probably want to watch Raul Betis versus Valencia from this weekend that ended up being 6-3 with uh, Valencia going 4-0 up at a point. But, you know, Fulham, we will make mistakes. Every football team makes mistakes. You don't just... Slavisa will tell you this as well. You don't just change tack because you've gone one or two goals down. Yeah. You have an identity and you play with it. So your summation is basically, don't change the system. Sorry, don't change the system. Just do it better. Yeah, yeah, better. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Just you know, just because you misplace a pass doesn't mean you're not, you're not going to ever pass the ball ever again because it didn't work that one time. And Fulham are excellent at passing out from the back. I would say there is a little bit less. It, I do agree that with Ben that there is a little bit less energy. And if those quick passing games are actually going to work, you're gonna the defenders almost need to be, start playing as if they are centre mids. Whereas they're passing and moving a lot more and getting and finding space, and we do that do do that very well. It's just Preston were able to negate some of that to a certain extent because Fulham still were on top for large parts of the game by passing it out the back. I think that it's important to remember that when you look at those last twenty minutes, Preston were knackered. They were knackered, absolutely yeah. dead on their feet, knackered, and that's because they've been chasing us all game. And yes, they were two 0 up, and I understand that it's not always going to work. And yeah, we got a bit lucky getting a point, but. You know, eventually, when you you play against that kind of press and you have to like drill yourself into the ground constantly to try and you know get the ball off the other team, you are going to run out of zap, and like it, it eventually will catch up with you. And yeah, you know, it's teams like Preston who are obviously quite good at it and have been drilled on it under, under Neil are, are, are teams that are going to cause us problems. But at the same time, the football on show at, at the weekend was excellent from both sides. Yeah. I thought, and you know, yes, we made mistakes, and yes, we were a little bit sloppy, and yes, Oli Norwood is no Tom Kearney. That, I think that is the, the ultimate thing here. With Tom Kearney in that midfield, we would have passed through the press, and we would have mm. probably won that game 3-1. And, like, one thing that's surprising for me from, from a Preston point of view is when he took Ben Pearson off, because I thought he was excellent. He was he was doing all the stuff that Oli Norwood should have been doing in the sense that he was um, playing it really well, and he was helping out doing the press. He was he was very good at his decision-making and, and was, was excellent. And... When they sw- he swapped it for John Welsh, who's a bit more of a defensive-minded player, but I just thought they lost that bit of energy. And John Welsh is obviously not as mobile as he used to be. He's probably getting on a bit. He wasn't and- ever that mobile in the first place. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he must be going into his mid-30s by now, and you think you- you're going to still need that energy to um, negate Fulham's energy, and it didn't quite work. So that was a bit surprising from their point of view. I think that's where the in-game management sort of conversation comes in a little bit and I I saw a couple of tweets um, on the weekend that were talking about Slav's in-game management and I agree this season it hasn't been great but I think under that microscope there Alex Neal's in-game management just that substitution alone probably you know probably points to the fact that he's not a good he's not particularly good at handling certain situations and especially when you're 2-0 up against probably the most dangerous team in the league and your your tactics actually you know working in your favor and you're controlling the any sort of situation you're being put into you know removing one of your most influential players whether he's tired or not is probably the wrong one especially someone as fundamental as Pearson was to that to that you mm. know the, the whole fundamental of of Preston this weekend um, let's look at the changes that Slav made and he made a very bold one and a very early one uh, at half time he uh, took off Nieskins Cabana who hadn't made too much of an impact on the game and then brought on Tom Kearney now we haven't seen Tom Kearney uh, since the August bank holiday weekend so it's been about a month and a half off uh, for Tom not going to lie I think I was I was surprised to even see him in the squad from some of the rumours that we'd heard and Dean was filling us in on the podcast a few weeks ago about Tom Kearney's knee and they don't really know what the problem is but anyway he was back in the squad and he was brought back on before I ask about the tactical nous of taking off Cabano instead of maybe someone like Steph Joe would have you taken the risk to play TC obviously you don't know the exact ins and outs of his injury, but you do know that he probably wasn't quite ready to play. He probably wasn't 100% fully fit. Would have you still taken that risk, though, that Slav did? Personally, no. But then again, I think it's the right decision. But, you know, it's easy to say in hindsight. I probably wouldn't have taken the risk, but I do commend Slavisa for taking it. Yeah, well, well, I, I, I do agree. 
the thing is, what worries me is the fact that even in the week and even in kind of like the press conferences, he didn't mention if Tom Kenny was going to be back or not. He never does. And he never he never does. So they, they kind of, it's weird because he doesn't do that with any other player. Yeah, which he said I do, Fredericks was out for Villa today. Yeah, I know. And weird. Like, and I do understand that to a certain extent. I, I do find it odd the way that managers will freely go, oh, these guys are available and these aren't because then it gives an insight to the other other team how we're going to play. Um but it's just a weird one. And they, we only saw one photo of Tom Kearney in training prior to the match. So you're thinking to yourself, well, he's only probably just started training again with the first team. Is he really ready and fully fit? Which, to an extent, I from Saturday, I wouldn't say he was fully fit. He was pretty good for about five minutes and then kind of went off the pace. And it, his um, lack of match practice probably did show. Not from a passing point of view in actual play, because he was, he was pretty good. Um, just as, as he wasn't quite to... everywhere he would have been if he was 100% Preci- fully fit. He wasn't quite in the areas. But... I still think he was quite influential. Um, I think it would be harsh to say that it wasn't necessarily the right decision. Look, afterwards, Tom Kearney was apparently limping in the in the press area and looked at, like noticeably in pain. Is that a good thing? Probably not. Like as in, maybe it's a good pain from a excellent 45 minutes of football. But you know, it, it's one of those things where. You know, we could we could risk him being further out, you know. But at the same time, look, last year we scored a last minute equaliser against Leeds in at home, as we all know. That blow not only, you know, took the stuffing out of Leeds, but it really kicked us on. Like mm. it really did. And for us to get another one of those kind of late equalizers that against a you know, a team that when we a game we should have maybe won, you know, in in hindsight, but against a good team who are going to be up there and about in the in in the standings at the end of the, in the end of the season, it c- could give us the kick it needs. And if that's the case, is it worth taking another two weeks out on Kearney? Probably, probably. Yeah. And um, Ben was Cabano the right man to take off for Kearney, regardless of whether Kearney was the right man to bring on. I think he was. I think for me, Cabano has been very much hit and miss this season, as much as. I'm a big fan of his and I think he's a, a highly influential player for us when the situations are correct. I think this weekend against against Preston with a high press, someone that's not going to give him a huge, a huge amount of time, he was quite ineffective. I'm not sure TC was the right guy to bring on, but I think you know someone of TC's quality, whether he's fit or not, to be on the pitch and get that level of vision... Um, attacking impetus and and that sort of thing always helps the squad. Um, and I think going forward, we were a much better unit after the introduction of TC. I think there are there are other issues that people are not people as in this room, like a lot of people in in general, perhaps skirting over. And it's the fact that our midfield this year has been absolutely terrible, and we don't we aren't controlling the game in any stretch of the imagination, and we don't tend to support our front three as much as. As we should be, and um, like if you look at the last three games in isolation, you you get Preston, QPR, and the game before it, which Forest. is Forest. Forest. And at times, our front three, and in particular our striker, is so isolated where there's no support from the midfield that you know it, it's basically going to come up and catch us, and there'll be there will be a point where we we are una- unable to score. Um, QPR was probably the best example. We somehow managed to shit house that win. Um, a little bit um, and as much as we love him and um, perhaps a couple of goals and and uh, assists and some uh, dodgy man of the match votes from from the Fulham fans uh, Stephanie Hansen has been not very good this season I would agree with you poor, I would agree with you but I think that the I hate Stefania Hansen brigade is becoming a cool ship to jump on rather oh, than... I don't hate him by any means. No, 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 I just no, don't think he's been I think, as good. I think that Steph had a, a good game, a terrible game against Forrest, which was covered up by a good free kick. I thought Steph had a good game against QPR. I thought he was exceptional against QPR. So, I, I wouldn't completely go as far agree as exceptional. I thought, I, thought the I thought the midfield three, in fact, had their best game of the season against Nor- QPR. Norwood was really good. See, I, yeah. I think Oliver Norwood is a Hollywood player who flatters to deceive in a major way. And I thought Ollie Norwood was our worst player, apart from maybe Dennis Adoy, weirdly, two goal scorers, who on the pitch on Saturday, I thought the two of them were absolutely yeah. abhorrent. I don't think... I yeah, mean, Adoy has had a very good start to the season, but Saturday was probably his worst performance of the season. He was he had no answer defensively to Maguire, and Maguire's injury really, really helped us out. Mm. We were in trouble, and Adoy was seriously on the rocks. And only when uh, only when 
Maguire went off, did Adoy start to actually have mm. any sort of say in the game? Steph was Steph was poor, but Norwood was terrible. I would yeah. say out, out of those out yeah. of those players, I would you know if they, we were going to take a if we were going to sort of drop one of them, it would be Oliver Norwood because I find that when Ollie Norwood plays well, he's he is he's really good. Don't get me wrong, he's really good. He's a bit more inconsistent than Steph Joe, but when Steph Joe isn't playing well, it's it's okay. It's not crap, but. He, do, you know, Oliver Norwood isn't capable of what Steph go, Steph Joe can do when he's really on it. But then again, I feel like and this was my next point that bringing on Molo for Steph Joe was the change that really made all the difference on Saturday. And maybe you could argue we could have had the same impact had he taken off yeah, Oli, that's, Oli that's, Norwood. That's the argument. That's the thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, we did change. I mean, have, bringing Molo on like it was it wasn't a change that any of us could have really predicted because it was very different from Slav to do that because it kind of changed his shape slightly. Um, but Molo was excellent coming on, and it's it's really good that we can bring people like Molo on, um, and it, it's really good to see. Um, taking, I mean, Steph Joe, I mean, the comparison between like Steph Joe and maybe like Tom Kearney, and Tom, and it's really really striking the difference when Tom Kearney came on and what he's capable of is his passing, and his passing is always like crisp. on the money, crisp, and it's um, directly to the feet, and it's exactly where it needs to be. Almost like Brian Ruiz. Brian Ruiz was just like you could tell how good he was, especially in the championship, because all of his passes were just they Brian they all stuck and they were all they were all perfect. And it's the same with Tom Kearney. Whereas the rest of you can see the rest of the team, uh, Fulham especially, their passing isn't at, it's just, it doesn't have that yeah that crispness, crispness to Look, it. I'm not defending Steph's season. I think that Steph has had a, a poor start to the season in general and I don't think anyone can deny that and I don't think Steph would deny that. I don't think he thinks he's had a good start to the season by any stretch of the imagination. What I'm saying is that Steph tries a lot of random stuff that like doesn't come off. Like he'll he'll try like a, like a weird ball out to the wings when he mm. could just play the 5 yard pass and and it goes out and people get annoyed with him and therefore Shit. Steph looks like he's had a bad game. Whereas Ollie Norwood will try occasional Hollywood balls that but are like guaranteed Hollywood balls. Like he'll ping the ball from one one you know side of the pitch to the other on the halfway line. And it won't do anything. It will just be a good pass and it will you know it'll get the ripple from the crowd and and then what he'll do is he'll make like a slide tackle that isn't like necessary and everyone will be like ah oh, he loves the club and I'm like yeah <laughs> I'm like yeah okay he does like the club but like what he does is he like lunges into challenges from ages away and it looks like it's a really committed tackle but actually what he should have done was just taken the extra step and made the challenge normally and stayed on his feet that's basically <laughs> how I play football so, but that's fine but basically what I'm saying is that Steph's getting a bad reputation because everyone's like oh he just works really hard yeah he works really hard like that's I think, good I think it's the a whole good team, thing to work yeah. really hard I, I don't, felt you know how, what you're saying about Norwood I felt exactly the same about Karagounis like literally all he was was a Hollywood pass out to a, a completely wide open fullback and an <laughs> over the top challenge and that was about it and everyone else fucking loved him I was firmly on the Karagounis brigade I, 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 I could not understand I, I, I still love Jamie O'Hara <laughs> get right, out. so we're going to replace Sammy as host <laughs> um, let's get into the final 15 where Fulham did start to make inroads against this Preston side and as you mentioned uh, we're playing against some very tired legs um, good work from Font to win the penalty lovely quick feet and as much as Font was fairly anonymous during the game it is the sign for me of a top player top striker when he has one moment to make a difference and it really was a massive impact on the game and changed everything and just had that awareness to create such a dangerous situation for us. Yeah, he wriggled between the two defenders. I actually thought Fon had quite a good game. Um, he was quite quiet, Yeah, well, he, I mean, his he movement was He good. was starved of service by a quite you know, impotent Fulham in the first half. But actually, in the second half, he had a good shot that went over. He should have done better with a header in the first half, in fairness. Mm. But in the second half, he had a good shot that, that went over. He won a penalty, and his movement was, you know generally excellent throughout and I think that he just keeps trying and I, yeah. I like that about a player he, he does work really I mean going back to it he works really hard on and, out, on and off the ball and he always his decision making is really really good um, I did think he struggled to get in the game a little bit because I thought he was getting out mu muscled by the, the Preston defence yeah. a little bit but I think that goes back to the isolation point that there were times that he was receiving the ball and there was no Fulham player within 20 yards of him I don't lay any blame at his door a lot of the time he's, he's receiving the ball with his back to defenders and not a lot of strikers want to be doing that and especially with the likes of Rui Fonte he's not going to he's not going to be want to be you know holding the ball off against you know, mm. against huge defenders he's going to want to be playing on the shoulder like we saw at Ipswich he's going to be 
getting in behind or laying the ball off and getting into better positions. He's not going to want to be receiving the ball, holding off defenders, trying to hold, wait for everyone else to get up with him. It's just, it's just not that. It's that's and I guess he saw the game. one moment in the game where he really did get yeah, his face exactly. to goal, and, and he wins a penalty. Yeah, it, was, it was excellent. It was excellent, quick feet, and he he did exactly the right thing. You know, playing the ball away from the defender and you know getting that yard or two. Also, I slate him a lot, and and we have actually slated him a lot in general on this podcast. But um, Floyd Aite plays a really good ball into Font, and he hasn't had a good start to the season. But it's a really lovely little slide pass, mm. uh, and he yeah. hasn't got any credit for it sort of anywhere I've seen. And I was like, yeah, good. He'll, he'll be pleased with that when he's listening. Yeah, tomorrow. fair play. Well done, Floyd. Well done, Floyd. I've been slightly disappointed with Floyd. You know, all of you know how much I love Floyd. I think he he was great last season, but this season his decision making has been been very poor. Um, and he hasn't looked anywhere near as effectual. If I if I was Slav and obviously I'm not because I'm not in the job, but I, I would I would be starting Molo over Aito right now. If Slav is looking though for an assistant assistant coach, then um, I'm sure Ben Jarman's uh, willing to listen I, to offers. I am free, and I do know how to get people to pass out the back correctly. He's, he's watched I've a watched lot. a lot of Napoli videos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it looks like finally we might have found a penalty taker. I, I'm not going to lie and say that I didn't uh, claim that I thought Ollie Norwood was the man to uh, take our penalties, and. Um, Looks like he can stick one away, finally. There was yeah. a bit of arguing beforehand. I, I, was I there? Don't know if... Yeah, Kearney uh, wanted it and came out was like, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, he gave the armband over. There was he was definitely... like, I'm still the captain here. Let's, let's not mess about, Tom. Yeah, um, yeah uh, correct decision. And yeah, well done, K-Mac. And actually, um, Jim was on about it. I was re-watching the, the highlights earlier and Jim Jim's talking about it in quite a lot of detail. He's like, if, if Kevin McDonald has said that, he's like, well done. No <laughs> you actually I, don't know what he said. You yeah, know, he yeah, could, he could no have said idea. like, "I'm having baked beans this this afternoon" or something. Yeah, I, I think it was probably the right. I think what would have happened is before the game, they weren't expecting Kearney to be on the pitch, mm. and they would have said Norwood takes the penalties. And then when Kearney was on, he was like, "Hang on, I'm the skipper, and I scored a few penalties last year. Therefore, give me the ball." And he also Norwood missed like, a hell of a lot as well. So I don't know he only missed got... two, didn't he? Missed one, didn't he? He missed two. He missed two. one against QPR and one late on. Oh. Against Brentford. Uh, Brentford. Oh Jesus, he really hates West London rivals, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, Agent Kearney. Agent Kearney. Yeah. So I, I think that was probably the correct decision from Kevin McDonald using a bit of nous there, especially with Tom Kearney in quite high emotions and you know with, with a lot to prove to to the fans and and a lot of the fans obviously thinking that it was a big moment for him to come back. I, I think that's probably the correct call giving it to to Ollie Norwood at that at that moment. And the second goal, it came from a very it was a very untypical. Fulham goal really came from a very long punt into the box. Alex Neil was complaining that it was 20 seconds over the uh, additional time, and uh, we've mentioned it really poor decision making from Chris Ma- Maxwell. But it's a it's a very good instinctive finish from Dennis Adoy, and it was a shit house goal. But to have the the be- the thought of mind to nous. yeah the nous to to hit that first time on the drop and actually get a good enough contact on it and find the I mean, I don't think he was thinking of where exactly in the goal he wanted to put it. But still, I yeah, just think... A defender could have got to it if it yeah, was anywhere yeah. else. It's actually yeah. a very, very good finish. Nice finish. Um, I, how much of it he knows about is, is up for debate. I'll tell you what he did know about, though. The celebration. Yeah, he knew about the celebration. I, mi- I missed it. I didn't, I, I, did I, you leave the ground? Are you one of those? No, absolutely not. As, uh, as If anyone follows me on Twitter will know that I'm very much against the leaving early brigade. Hashtag against modern football. Exactly. Um, well, you just but too- I was just celebrating too much that so I didn't see him do a little, his little uh, trick. I mean, uh, if you thought the Wigan backflip was good uh, last season, he did, he did up it a notch. Um, and he got put in the who scored team of the week, which I guess goes to prove that... They don't watch the games, do they? Anyone that scores a goal gets into the... It's literally uh, like the Fulham match, man of the matches. <laughs> yeah, I'll wait, I can't wait for him to be man of the match this week. Can't yeah, wait have, for him have to they, team of the year. Have they announced that? What? No, have they announced this week's tomorrow, man of the match? Tomorrow, I think. Yeah, I mean, just ludicrous if Dennis Adoy or Oli Norwood win. It's K-Mac. It, it, K-Mac was the only player on the pitch on Saturday that gave himself a particularly good account of themselves. good all year is K-Mac. King K-Mac. And if you saw his jacket in the uh, squad photo at Tim Ream's birthday batch, uh, birthday batch, birthday bash last <laughs> night, then it's just topped off a great weekend for Kevin McDonald. Kevin McDonald is a brilliant footballer. He's sure a great, he's a great guy, but he's not he's a stylish in, he's man. In, his Instagram 
names. What the fuck is going through? What is happening on the Fact It was facts, not fiction. Nine. Now it's down the waterfall with about fifty L's on the end. I don't know what's going on. Kevin McDonald is actually losing the plot. He's, you know, he could do whatever he wants on Instagram if he keeps playing well. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I'm not mad on his jacket. I know this is going to cause controversy. I don't like his jacket. I think you don't need someone show me a picture of his jacket. You don't need to be wearing tartan. We know you're Scottish. We get it. Oh, it's not like a Scot to be, you know, really embarrassed by the fact that they're Scottish. It's like a grey and black tartan, and then there's like Jordan Graham with like ripped jeans on. It's it's a really odd squad photo. I like it a lot. Steph looks like he's, you know, insane. So. Maybe he's just contemplating his recent performances or whatever. Lucas Piazon looks absolutely off his tits. <laughs> he's probably the only one that's allowed to be completely yeah. off his tits, in fairness. Smashing, I might get one. It would suit you, in fairness, Farrell. Yeah, I think you'd pull off the tartan. Right, uh, we must digress and move on to the Villa preview, which is coming up after this. Jack, how do you like your beer? Ideally in multiple quantities. Well, I can do that in multiple quantities and I can give it to you for free thanks to our mates at Beer52. How does eight free craft beers and you pay only the postage and packaging sound to you? It sounds incredible. Free beer all over the gaff. Shout out to Beer52. You can get that right now by using the code FULHAM at Beer52.com. What they'll do is they'll send you a box of beer just like this one we have here. Eight free craft beers straight to your door. All you need to do is use the code FULHAM at Beer52.com. Pay the postage and packaging. It's that simple. You going to do it, Jack? Yes, I am. Let's get on it. Sign up now. Fulham at beer52.com. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish <laughs> podcast. My name's Sammy James, still here with Farrell Monk, Ben Jarman and Jack Collins. Yo, big uh, up. So you'll have just heard of an advert for Beer 52. Uh, what were you all drinking in the studio at the moment? I know Beer 52 beers, but specifically what beer have you got in your hand? I've got a Founders All Day Session Ale, which suits my personality wonderfully. Yeah, loves an all-day session. Um, ben, what have you got? I've got an amber ale. Amber ale. Okay, well, I've got the uh, Mosaic Promise. Now, Farrell's uh, feeling a little under the weather uh, due to alcohol-related incidents of last night. But what have you got if you have decide that you fancy beer? So I've still got the West Sixth Brewing in my hand, but it's not open because I think the instructions in the top say better on the go, and I'm not really going anywhere at the moment so, okay, so I'll, you're o- wait. I'll, I'll open it uh, on, on the, the tube. tube yeah okay uh, yeah when I'm walking I mean that's drinking that's... and transport is actually illegal so but you know we can't fuck condone the police this. we can't condone this on the Fulhamish podcast I'm afraid Sorry. I'm a badass oh I'm going to mm. save that. I'm just going to save that little clip of you saying fucked or police. <laughs> Make a remix of it one day when I'm a little bit bored. Yeah. Right, let's move on from advertising, although you can get your free crate of beer, Fulham at beer52.com. And let's m- look forward to the Villa preview. We're travelling to Villa Park for an important game on Saturday uh, against the side just one point above us in the table. Not generally a place we love visiting, although last season's defeat was our only loss in six in our last six uh, against Villa. Uh, in both the Championship and the Premier League. Um, Villa have been pretty strong at home so far. Um, three draws, three wins, and report, recovered from a poor start in August, and they'd won four on the bounce uh, before Saturday's defeat at Wolves, which is no no real blemish, considering the form that Wolves are in um, at the moment. Um, but I don't know about you, Jack, but I'm feeling pretty confident going into Saturday. I think it's a place that we can definitely go up and get three points if we play to our potential, especially against a slow back line of Terry and Chester. I uh, never feel confident going into a game against Conor Hurahan and Glenn Whelan. But, you know, if, if we're gonna if we're gonna get joy, it's gonna be through that middle pairing of of, of either Terry and whoever he's put up with this week. It might be Chester, it might even be Christopher Samba. yeah, Christopher Samba. So you never know your luck, as some would say. And uh, Diego Yotta gave him an absolute nightmare at the weekend John Terry and he he just couldn't get anywhere near him for pretty much the entire game so there is hope that our nippy nimble strike force slash wingers can get in and annoy John Terry in that respect I wouldn't be a hundred percent surprised if Slav started with a strikerless system um on the weekend Uh, I think it would I think it would be a surprise but it wouldn't be the weirdest thing in the world. I think if he was going to do it against anyone, this would probably be the time. Mm. And with Rafa Suarez, you know, moving his way into contention, I think we might see a, a push forward for young Ryan Sessegnon. 
Um, ben, you looked very excited at the prospect of a strikerless system. Uh, even more excited than you have been drinking that uh, craft IPA of yours. Um, I'm very excited at the fact that we could go back to a strikerless system. For those in the studio, you may have seen me remove a pen lid and put it into my arm as if it was a heroin needle. <laughs> um, so there we are. Um, so, uh, thanks for describing it because I wasn't sure what you were doing. Yeah, I thought you were just trying to draw on your arm. Scott yeah. Malone mistakes are, are the same the same thing for us. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to, for us to go back to Strikers. I think it's probably the best way to uh, expose every single floor in John Terry's game. Um, also the same with Chester. If not, we should probably get the wingers um, nice and close around Fonte um, and allow him to bring them into the game. So you would still play Font just in a reduced I would, role? I would. In, yeah, a, in, a, in a less advanced role? I would, yeah. I'd, I'd slightly withdraw him. I'd bring the wingers in closer to him so they can get him in the channels behind the, like in between the centre half and the um, and the wing back or the full back um, in Villa's case. Um, and then um, try and expose Terry's pace in behind. And if I was Slav, this could be a really good opportunity to, chess, uh, to test a three slash five at the back system and potentially go with a three four three and have um, two really hardworking midfielders in the middle there um, and then have wing backs. So what we've noticed with Cess is like, over the past sort of start of this season that there have been some fairly naive mistakes um, in his game, especially when he's played at left back and teams tend to, tend to isolate him and target him at times. So what we could do is just push him up slightly into a more of a wing back role um, and have someone um, who works fairly hard in front of him, potentially Aite. I know I said earlier on that I wouldn't start him, but in this case he does work fairly hard. Um, and then have uh, Odoi or Fredericks as that right side with uh, Molo in front and then get them in. And then Fredericks go three, is, four, three. The only reason I would potentially disagree with you is because Fredericks is out. Yeah. So I don't know who you'd play as the third centre back in, in, in the said system with Adoy on the right, unless you went and uh, went full out and played Maddo, Johan Molo as a right wing back. No, I'd go Maddo in there. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Something something I hadn't considered, but yeah, very very possible. No, Marcelo Jallo's kicking about. Absolutely not. Cameron, um, we, we call Cameron Burgess. Maddle. I mean, that's what you would describe his performance on the pitch. He would just be kicking about. I don't know, I I don't know go, what Ragnar Sigurdsson's doing. I would go Maddle as the one of the wider centre-backs because he has a good footwork and some sort of pace. And I wouldn't want to mess up the uh, Reem-Callas sort of chemistry, to use a FIFA term, that they've got there. Um Farrell, we were looking at, obviously, Villa's weakness in defence or supposed weakness in defence, um, but they do have plenty of good options, especially in midfield. I'll let you wax lyrical about Cora Hurenhan, <laughs> if I can say his name correctly. Yeah. Uh, top of the scoring charts for Villa with five goals. Uh, and in the October preview that Jack and Dom uh, did with me on Thursday, we are also talking about Albert Adoma and also 19-year-old Keenan Davis being mm. doing bits for them. They've certainly got... Plenty of pedigree in this side. I think they're a side that's going to be there or thereabouts given the end of the season. I don't know if you agree. Uh, no, absolutely. I mean, we before the season started, we were amusing about which teams would be there or thereabouts. And we did pinpoint Villa as a possibility because they have, I mean, they had a pretty poor season last year, but they were a sleeping giant in the sense that they had some talent and they've just added to that this year. Um, I've spoken a lot about Albert Adoma uh, in the past. And he's quality, and he is doing excellent things for them alongside some other, you know, other names you might have heard of, Jonathan Codger, and um, you know, Connor Hurahan. I'd never heard of him before, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but you know, we've spoken a lot about their players. That they've got, you know, they're all proven excellent players. Some of them have got some good Premier League experience behind them as well, and they've got quality throughout. So it'll, it's going to be a really tough test now that their season has start, started to kick into gear. Um, I mean, they did lose, uh, lose at the weekend to uh, Wolves. Wolves. Yeah. It was 2-0 in the end, I think yeah. it was, yeah. It should, but, it, but it Wolves should and could have been worse. Well, really, I didn't watch it. Was it? I mean... They weren't awful. I mean, they just weren't good. Well, I mean, like, Wolves are top. Alan Hutton at left-back. Ah, OK. Well, Which is, Alan Hutton, is he still around? <laughs> he he had an unbelievable tackle, though. Yeah, he did make saw. a very good challenge. Jack, he's still got, very slow. Jack, I've got a challenge for you. Go on. Can you explain uh, Villa's... 
uh, midfield threat in 30 seconds. Uh, their midfield threat comes under the guise of one man, Conor Hurahan, and he's in all sorts all all action box to box midfielder who can score goals and make you know goal saving interceptions in in equal parts i think his dead ball threat is something that we need to consider uh, and also his ability to make runs from Ten deep seconds. a bit like dave edwards um but in general i just think it's someone that kevin mcdonald is going to have to keep Five, a close eye on four, in three two well, very excellent well what about england on the 21 international josh onama who scored an absolute Banger against Scotland. Mm. In oh, this break. was an interesting move for Josh Onomah. I've been talking about this in, in depth with a, with a Spurs fan at work because we were all a bit surprised about Josh Onomah not being included in Spurs' squad this year. Mm. We thought this might have been his breakout year. Pochettino has tended to play him in an advanced role um, where he can potentially cause less you know, damage, I suppose, um, in, in a Premier League game. But actually his natural position is, is far deeper in, in the kind of libero um, role and that's where Libero. he yeah he sits behind the midfield for Villa yeah he sits as the base of that tri- uh, that thing that's with, where um, he plays for England seriously yeah so this is something re- like I'd not considered and something that I had to like look up and and, and re- but he basically plays at the bottom of the midfield and he sits there and he just sprays and he's a really really good little libero he does a lot of cleaning up he basically takes away all the defensive like work duty for Hurham. And they allow Hurahan that kind of free role in front of them. Him and Whelan, you know, Whelan kind of plays a kind of standard centre midfield, doesn't really move too much, but knows how to pass the ball and break up attacks. Onima sort of gets the ball from deep and sprays, you know, passes wide and left. And then Hurahan just sort of runs a mock in the, in the centre. So it, it's an interesting one because he's not, we're not used to seeing him there when we sort of watched him for Spurs, but actually that's where he's been playing for Villa and he's done really well in, in a couple of situations. So I he think doesn't this... play there for England, does he? Yeah, he does. He does. He does. I'm he does. sure he does, yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, it's, we hit the nail on the head like, talking about the midfield so much because I think that's where the key battle is at the weekend. I've got to say, like, I was love, loving listening to your conversation about the different formations and who would play, play where. I, was just, I just love listening to it. Um, but I think it would be a huge risk to sort of change the system too much at the at the weekend. But the midfield battle is really where where it's going to be won and lost. You know, if if Kenny's going to start and stop um, being able to get his full range of passing going and being able to negate the Hurahan, Whelan, Onoma trio of destruction, um, because you know our midfield is where our strength is as well. So you know it's it's going to be really good battle to to. To witness. Interesting. I don't think Willem will start because Villa's change of fortunes came about with Steve Bruce refer- reverting to a, a very classic four four two in in the news that will shock absolutely nobody. <laughs> um, Steve Bruce playing boring formations, but it's just it's just been Onoma and uh, and Hurahan in the centre with sort of in in kind of a diamond um, with a Doma out on the right and. I forget someone's on the left, um, but potentially B- Bjarnason, who's um, who's been played there in it. Icelandic international, you know, a weird one. Who's definitely a centre midfielder, but has been playing in a wide role. No, he played wide for Basel. Yeah, so it, it, it's a it's a good side. I, I think whoever's at left back is going to be given a torrid time by Albert Doma. We know what he's capable of. We've seen him do it time and time again against Fulham. You know, in a Middlesbrough shirt, in a Villa shirt last year, he was excellent and. I think ultimately, basically, we, we, we need to work through their formation. I think, I think well, three in the I middle think, will help us. I think that Adoma has exposed, I mean, his directness has exposed Fulham quite a lot because he's, he's such a direct player that as soon as he picks up the ball, he's, he's driving at you straight away. And I think that someone like uh, Ryan Sessignon, like at the weekend with with, with Barkheisen, yeah, yeah. who's a, a, quite a similar player, um, he did expose Sessignon's defensive frailties, uh, which he does obviously have them at this moment in his career. Um, Adome is probably a better player than Barkhaisen, you know, at this, at this moment mm-hmm. in time, definitely. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talk a lot about Barkhaisen and how excellent he is, but he's still growing as a player. Yeah. He's still young and Adome has been there, done it, and is still just continually tearing people apart in the championship at fun. And I'm not 100% convinced that Ryan Sessignon is the right pick at left back this, yeah. this weekend. Well, potentially Rafa Suarez to come back in. He was named on the bench against Preston. Um, seems quite likely that he might be involved this weekend. If and that were the case, I, I, I assume that Ryan Sessegnon won't be dropped. I reckon he'll be moved up. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 
I think that's important. I think if I was if I was to pick the team right now, I would go a back four of Suarez, Reem, Callas, Odoi, out of necessity rather than choice, to be honest. Um, and then obviously McDonald, Norwood, and Johansson in the centre. I don't think we can change that yet because I don't think Kearney's fit enough to play ninety minutes. And and much as I've been, you know, critical of both Norwood and Johansson. Both of them are miles ahead of Cisse in my in my reckoning still, and yeah. the only you know yeah Cisse had a good game against Leeds away. I I, I won't mm. I won't disagree with that. But since then, every performance he has shown me has given me absolutely nothing. I don't think you can change that. I'd probably play Font in a more withdrawn role with Cessnion on one side and Molo on the other. I reckon he'll actually start Kearney. I mean, if he has a full week of training um, behind him um, this week, I reckon he'll start him because they the the. A medical staff at Fulham would have gone, he's fit enough to play 45 minutes at least. So Slav thought, right, I'm going to get him on straight away. We shall see. It will give us a massive lift if they do. I'd be interested to see who they drop if Kenny comes into the side. Um, I really hope that they don't play Ollie Norwood in that weird withdrawn right wing role, which they did for a bit when after in the start of the second half. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. We went, basically, yeah. it's a... I uh, actually this comes courtesy of Nick, our, our resident statsman. But basically, was I was trying to work out what he'd done with bringing Cabano off and bringing Kearney on, and what what we decided was probably the what he was trying to do was playing Norwood on the right of a four in terms of like a four one four one, um, which, which is strange. I mean, I could. It took me a while to figure out what was going on. I thought it was a diamond to begin with, but it didn't look like a diamond diamond. eventually. But a diamond 4-4-2, and Aite was definitely far too wide to be playing as a a central striker. So So I went went to watch Luton this weekend as well, and they played as a a diamond, and it was a very different diamond to the one you'd expect them to, but it was still a diamond. Narrow or? It was fairly wide diamond. That's just a four four two with an attacking midfielder. No, it wasn't. It was not wide enough to be a four four two. It was definitely a diamond. Weird. That is I'll, I'll, I'll draw it for you. All right, we're going to get into some questions. Uh, Jack's just rustling through the post bag as we speak. So while he does that, just to mention that at the moment there's loads of great articles on the Fulhamish website, including the latest on the Riverside stand. Uh, there's been plenty of split opinion from fans over the new proposed designs for the Riverside stand. So make sure you give that a read at fulhamish.co.uk. There's also an October preview, plenty about Rafa Schwarz as well, uh, and there's loads more to come in the week. There's also a brand new Craven Corner article from our man Adbron Smith on the website. So make sure you go give the website a little follow, fulhamish.co.uk. And if you want the all the latest articles and podcasts to come straight into your inbox, your email inbox every week, just sign up to the newsletter. Uh, it's very simple. It, the link to sign up is at the homepage at fulhamish.co.uk. Right. Hopefully that was enough blabble to give Jack some time to find some questions just before we round off this week's podcast. So it's been a little while since you've had control of the post bag. I hope Dom's kept it uh, a nice order yeah, fashion for you. I feel more comfortable now that I have I have regained control of the per, the mailbag strings, as, as some would say, not the purse strings. I definitely don't have control of those. Um, but yeah, we've got some good questions. I'm going to open up with one from Adam Porter, who says, do you think us getting out-muscled on Saturday could become an issue, and do you think it's why we struggled? I feel like we've always been a team that's slightly weaker than all the rest in the championship, but we've negated that by passing around them. Um, I think it's only natural that teams are going to try and want to get closer to us and close us down quicker than they have done ever before in order to stop us playing our natural game. And we've just got to find a way to be more intelligent and, and quicker and... Um, finding more space with our passing and our movement. Um, I don't think it's going to harm us in the long term because I do think we've got the quality to to get to where our um, aims are, ultimately, which is the playoffs. I just think that this year it won't be as fairy tale as last. I think it'll be a bit more of a slog as we sort of stumble towards the end of the year. I, this is the sort of feeling I have about the season so far. Not that we, I think we will get there, but it'll be a bit more of a stumble over is there also a point that on saturday we not only met a side that was very physical we met a side that was very intelligent yeah. uh, as well a uh, very good off the ball and also very good on the ball as we as we mentioned so we'll come up against physical sides again we'll come up against plenty of those this season but we're not going to come up against too many that have the combination that preston do of being not only quite good footballers but physical 
So you imagine that against one or the other, mm. we should come through the test fairly simply. It was just that you, Preston posed a unique problem. Well, weirdly, Fulham tend to struggle against those types of teams where they're not they're not as good as some of the top teams, and so they you know they kind of shithouse results with them. Um, with their brute force and maybe do play a little bit more intelligently. And that's where sometimes we have struggled, you know, like Burton, for example, uh, and QPR the last couple of seasons, we've struggled against them um, at Loftus Road because, you know, they, they are a, quite a physical team and they play in somewhat intelligently. Whereas the, some of the good teams, they play sort of, you know, just passing football and there's a bit more space for, for Fulham to really exp- uh, express themselves. One thing that Fulham do do struggle with sometimes is when other teams are starting to push for an equaliser and start going long. That's where Fulham have struggled a little bit. It hasn't come quite hasn't come off for those teams sometimes, but on the odd occasion they they do fashion chances, don't they? I mean, thinking back to to QPR a couple of a few weeks ago, I mean, in the last in that injury time, the everlasting injury time it felt like um, Let's not talk about it. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it'll be the teams like if I don't know if you watched the sh- uh, the Cardiff versus Br- Birmingham it was game. So bad. It was literally as like, okay, um, our centre backs will clear it. So what we'll do is we'll put your centre backs on the back foot, and we'll try and test them. Okay, our centre backs are clear. So we'll put your centre backs on the back foot. It's those teams that try and get our centre backs on the half turn that we really struggle with. Like Farrell says, just long balls in behind, mm. constantly, constantly trying to get Reading Callas on the turn. It's just like that's where we struggle. Reading like, did that to great effect last year against us. Yeah, like out muscling us, we can pass around you. Being intelligent, we can make space, we can move. That sort of going right for the jugular is where we sort of think like, okay, this isn't fair, like that sort of thing. Yeah, that's where we struggle. I think this is a, a, a an email question. I'm gonna I'm just gonna swiftly wander onwards um, from <laughs> Matthew Kalmanson, who says, "Why don't we have more ball boys? <laughs> we seem to have about two ball boys covering the entire pitch. When we're chasing a game, we need to keep the momentum going, but we constantly seem to have players going to retrieve the ball, or it takes an age for the ball boy to collect. It may seem a small point. Do you think these fine details go towards making the cottage a difficult place to come to? I'm going to open with expert on all matters niche and weird, Farrell Monk. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll do it, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I have. I was a ball boy once uh, when I was 18. You're yeah. still small enough to be a ball boy as well. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't get in anyone's way. No, of course not. Um, I don't know, maybe they're all playing for the youth team or something like that. Like just, all these ball boys. In fairness, it's not something I thought of. But... They normally are youth team players. I was a ball boy fair, against uh, Manchester United. Bloody hell. And I threw the ball to Ryan Giggs and he then slept with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the biggest surprising thing is that you have a wife. <laughs> um, no, I in England we don't to... seem to have the rotating ball system that no, they he... do in World Cups and other that's, um, that's an FA, that's just an FA thing. So okay. it's the different rules in between FA, UEFA and FIFA. Whereby, I mean, FA have the have the uh, opinion that the game should be the same regardless of which uh, wherever you play. So your Sunday morning football should be exactly the same game as what it is like in the Premier League, which is why they took ages to get all the um, other technology stuff involved. And so stuff like rotating balls, they're like, no, we shouldn't do that. Su- Sunday league, you know, well, it should only have one football. Um, Maybe one spare if it. Wembley have got a full team of fully trained ball boys and ball girls, though. They, they but still could... only one football. Yeah, that's it. Isn't yeah. it? It's not. Yeah. It's not a difference in the actual game. It's just a difference in the amount of people that you're willing yeah. to use to make it happen. Yeah, I think I don't know. It seems a very small point to be making. I, I just can't I, imagine. I agree, but I, in fairness, in, when I we are looking like, for the ball, such I suppose a, it is valid. To be but fair, the last time it, we had a good amount of ball boys, they gave the ball back to um, oh, Spurs, yeah, Spurs so quickly that they scored against us. So yeah. there, there's your... We've sacked all the ball boys. So yeah. that's the yeah. Yeah. There Matthew. They've all been sacked by Slav after last time. There was also, a moment on Saturday where someone in the Riverside stand, we were chasing the game in stoppage type, and he, the, the ball got oh, kicked yeah. into it. And he couldn't quite just like get the ball out of like his feet. He kept bouncing around. And you could, the Hammersmith fan was getting more and more agitated at this bloke just to throw the ball. So much so, like, abuse was generally just about to start coming his way. Yeah, he had to Jim, throw the ball. Jim mentioned it on the, Did on, he? On the, on the stream. So um, that's, that's one of the best things uh, of the international break involved with football 
uh, a ball boy um, in, <laughs> in, in Panama's uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. in Panama's qualifying game the ball boy literally comes out of nowhere when the guy's about to retrieve the ball for Costa Rica it's and amazing. just boots it <laughs> all the way across the stadium. If you haven't seen the video, into, it's an absolute corker. It's amazing. That's the reason why the United States of America didn't qualify, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So um, you can all that find ball that, that ball boy and, and abuse him if that's, uh, that's your... that's your. There's unverified reports that it was actually a sub. Yeah, I read it was a sub as well. That's a ball boy. That's amazing. If, it's if it's a sub, it's even better. I think that is an unbelievable sense of shithousery. Um, these are questions from JJP, um, which are you know a little bit more personal actually. Um, <laughs> who's the, your wife? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who's your wife, and why was she offered Ryan Giggs? And um, what was the biggest bet you've ever made on a Fulham game? And what's the most you've ever won off a Fulham bet? I've never won off a Fulham bet, so let's just cross that out early doors. I've got I've got quite a good one. Um, Go on. It was the first game of season I don't know I think it was the last season of the Premier League and I don't bet that often but um, it was I mean Pat, Patchim Kasami hardly ever played for Fulham before before oh, they only had this one and um, he was starting he started that game like it was a big surprise and he was starting like up front I think or at least in the behind the striker yeah. I think and so and I was like, I'm going to put a bet on him to score because he was something ridiculous. Honestly, it was something like twenty to one or something like that. So I was like, oh, is this the Sunderland first game of the, the first, season? Sunderland first game of the season. Yeah, well, I had to sit on a coach all the way up to Sunderland with Farrell. Yeah, <laughs> right, that's that's obviously why that's uh, <laughs> that's why you both resorted to betting and drinking that day. <laughs> Classic. Um, yeah. For for JJP, he says he made a stupid bet in the low hundreds for us to beat Rotherham at home. We won four one at night. McCormack scored. He had four hundred dollars on us to get promoted last season. That was probably not the not not the move, if I if I'm honest. Um, but the most he ever won, he had Bocanegra last scorer in a three-one defeat at home to City and won seventy quid off two pounds. I um I've still got a hundred pound riding on uh, Patrick Roberts going to a World Cup. What this World Cup? No, no, just a World Cup. Um, I put it on when he was sixteen in the youth team. I went into Coral and asked for odds. How much? How were the odds? I, they're not. They're not actually that good. I think I've got like twenty-five to one on it. I think a lot of them they do that now, but I think it dates back from the whole Chris Kirkland one because yeah. his father put some money on him getting yeah, England I've got cap. So I went. Ryan Tunnicliffe's dad won ten grand off of him making a Man United first team appearance, didn't he? I'll win two grand if um, Pat, Pat ever gets to a World Cup. I didn't actually say who for, but I think I, I think the bet might assume it's for England. So we'll have to see if he ever decides his Irish Ooh, heritage is, could a, you imagine? is a thing. Like, could you, you imagine? You did bet on transfer deadline day that Hotter would sign for I Fulham. I lost money on that, yeah. I think it maybe was 20 quid to get 60 quid back. I was going to buy a Hotter shirt with the money that I won. That was the, that was the deal. So, so it was all a wind-up exercise, really? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I actually just core. wasn't that interested in Hotter signing. I just wanted to wind up my, my aunt. Ben, are you a betting man? No, I don't bet. Never have bet. And I don't want to bet either. But if you ever need any help with Acker, I've got a really, really like strange knack of getting the Ackers correct and like all the scores and that correctly. And there, right. there was a there was a very strange period in time about two years ago where I used to like recommend people betting on Real Madrid to win three one, and they would It'd come in like time and time again. So should have done that for you, want, you, Fulham, you should have done that for Fulham last year. You do it for me this Saturday, and we'll see what goes on. Yeah. Okay, that screams I should be a betting man at me. If, if I'm perfectly honest, you bet. No, no, nah. it's a mugs game. Don't bet yeah. unless it's with Labrooks. Bet five pounds against pounds. Bet on Fulhamish.co.uk. Um, there's a couple more questions. Uh, I quite like some of these, so I'm going to go with them. FFC Dom Dom uh, says, "Who are our two best wingers?" Quick fire answers: Sammy James, Cabano and Molo, Ben Jarman, Aita and Molo, Farrell Monk. I'm not going to say Sean Cavanagh. Um, Shit, I've just said the wrong person. I'd say Molo and Aite. That's what Ben said. Would you like to change your answer? No. No. I would go Molo and Jordan Graham because bloody love Jordan Graham. Has yeah. he even played a minute for us? Yeah, 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 yeah he no, he did. He came on against Burton. We're doing, we're doing, we're doing quick fire knowledge. questions now. So Alex at Pure Power loves a question. Who starts in midfield against Villa, including wingers? And is it too early to call Cissé a poor signing? Go. Five in midfield and is Cissé a poor signing? Uh, Cissé's not really had too much of a chance, although he doesn't look great from the outset. Uh, five in midfield, assuming Kenny's not fit. Steph Joe, K-Mac, Norwood, um, Molo and Cess. Farrell? I would assume that Kenny is fit and say 
I, I'd be quite boring and say Kenny, McDonald, Johansson, uh, Aite and Cabano. Oh, Farrell's gone old school back to 2016. <laughs> ben? <laughs> um, I don't like Cissé. I don't see what he brings to us particularly. Um, I think he's a bad signing. My five in midfield against Villa would probably be Kevin McDonald, Stephen Johansson, Tom Kenny if he's fit. Um, I'd go Johan Molo on one side and Floyd Aite on the other. Um, I think it's probably too early to call him a poor signing, but it's not too early to suggest that he needs to do a serious amount of work before he's being considered for the first-team squad. Uh, my midfield, I think TC will also not be fit, so I'm going to go McDonald, K-Mac. He's the McDonald, same K-Mac, <laughs> King Kev, um, <laughs> Kevin McDonald, and... Well, it's and, changed uh, from last year when he called him, kept on calling him Scott McDonald. Captain, yeah, go, Captain Kev. No, I go Kev, um, go Steph, for, uh, Norwood, and I would go Sess on one side and Molo on the other, much like that? Sammy James. Thank you. Rijkaard, Hullet, Seydorf, Van yeah. Basten, Gerard, and Cruyff. I'd go five. Kieran Tierney at left wing back, um, Oliver Nachan. <laughs> anyway, that's time for this week's <laughs> Fulhamish podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you uh, for downloading. Make sure you uh, recommend it to a friend if you fancy it. Uh, Secretary Jack, uh, could I have a title for today's podcast? And it's not Ireland are the best or come on, you boys in green. No, it's not either of those. <laughs> when you get a James message McLean from... James the Queen. James McLean does hate the Queen. Um, <laughs> when you get one of those messages from... Uh, a verified European world football expert, Archie Rantup. You have to obey what he says. So under under rule of duress, I'm calling this podcast "If I Were a Dory." Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Archie. Thanks, you can't Arch. have you can't have too much Queen Bee in your uh, in your podcast titles. James McLean doesn't hate Queen Bee; just hates the Queen. Okay. And that's it for this week's podcast. Well, so that's... thank you to Farrell Monk. No, thank you. Thank you to Ben Jarman. Thanks and goodbye. And our resident Republican, thank you, Jack Collins. You boys in green. See you later. Bye. Toodles.